What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Wednesday, May the 17th, 2023. It is episode 159 of the show. This is the Preakness edition of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You'll get this episode along with the 158 prior. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, bell icon lit up over on YouTube, um, all the above. Any kind of interaction or feedback that we can get from you, the listener, you, the viewer, uh, the better. Not just for me, but for In The Money Media as a whole. And we are a team at the end of the day. So the better one does, the better we all do. And, you know. Yada, yada, yada. That's just kind of how the business works. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since the last show, which happened to be the Derby and the Oaks pod. Uh, Oaks pick, mm, not great. Um, there was a lot going on there early on. Don't think that made the ultimate difference, uh, but not ideal. Big effort from Pretty Mischievous. And then in the Derby, I can't, I can't complain. I thought Angel of Empire had a good trip. He needed to wait a little longer than Mage did, and that may have made the difference. Maybe he wouldn't have beaten him, but I think he could have narrowed the gap a little bit. Um, a very respectable third, and Mage is the winner, and he is not only running in Saturday's Preakness, but he is the only Derby entrant that is wheeling back on two weeks to run in Baltimore at Pimlico. So this week's show, we'll talk about both the Pimlico, excuse me, the Preakness and the Black-Eyed Susan. And I'll give you fair odds or my value line for those two races. And I'll give you some ideas for the Saturday undercard. I, I wouldn't go as far as to call them, you know, air quotes, picks. They might end up being the horses that I pick on the uh, NBC, Peacock, CNBC broadcast Friday and Saturday. But we're only going to talk about Saturday's races anyway. But uh, I would call these strong leans at this point. Keep in mind, looks like it's 50-50 for weather on Saturday in Baltimore, which could certainly throw a monkey wrench into things, specifically the turf racing. Um, I actually think it's a it's a pretty interesting card. I don't know that I think it's the best card, but I think from a gambling standpoint, it, it might be it might be pretty appetizing if things stay together. It's it's sad to say, but the truth of the matter is, I I think the race I care least about. Is the Preakness? It, I just don't find it a particularly interesting race, um, but we'll dive into that. Let's start off with the Black Eyed Susan. We'll roll into the Preakness, and then we'll button things up with some undercard Saturday thoughts. You can formulate some some wagers, maybe put some ideas together. If you hate my opinion, throw them all out. Uh, if you love my opinion, use all of them. I would hope most of you do a combination of the two. You don't have to love everything I say. You don't have to hate everything I say. Your opinion is the only one that matters. Uh, maybe you take some of the stuff that you hear here and you hear from other spots, your other favorite handicappers that are out there, and take all that into consideration and formulate your own opinion because it's your money. You're the one making your plays. doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Your opinion is the only one that matters. So let's start on Friday with the main event. Black-Eyed Susan will roll into the Saturday Preakness, which is the headliner. 
on that big day of racing, and then we'll wrap up with some undercard thoughts. Black-Eyed Susan, you've got a nice full field put together. It sounds like as of Wednesday, the sixth miracle will not be running. Uh, Elliot Walden had tweeted something in that vein that this horse would be running against New York Breds at Belmont Park over the weekend. So uh, Miracle will not be going, which for me was a little disappointing because I didn't like her at all. And I figured she would take some money just based on connections and sort of name recognition alone. So that leaves a field of 11 that will be going the mile and an eighth at Old Hilltop on Friday afternoon. The Friday coverage for us, I believe, begins at 4.30 Eastern on Peacock. We are only on Peacock on Friday afternoon. Um, I'm not going to give you the horse by horse as far as what I think of them. I will burn through my value line, Sacred Wish, the one. I made her 16 to 1. 1 6, not 60. 1 6, 16 to 1. Pate, 50 to 1. Hoosier Philly, 12 to 1. Merlotza, 3 to 1. Frosty O'Toole, 16 to 1. Comparative, 25 to 1. Balpool, 12 to 1. Faza, 3 to 1. Taxed, 8 to 1. Cats in the Timber, 50 to 1. And Toehead, 25 to 1. Just based on those odds, you can see that I'm kind of viewing this as a two-horse race. And of the two horses, I much, much prefer the four, Merlotza. That's who my top pick is in this spot. Brad Cox, Florent Giroux. She won a little stakes race at Oakland Park last time out. And I think the thing for me, she is still rather green. She runs in spots. But boy, when she finally figures out what the hell she's doing at about the quarter pole, not even the quarter pole, inside the quarter pole, she punches home kind of like a turf horse. I've always said that one of the things I hate the most is the, the phrase turn of foot on dirt. It's such a misnomer. And not that this really... Nobody gives a shit about things like this, and I understand there are bigger fish to fry in, in horse racing, especially these days. But if you're trying to educate folks, I guess by letter of the law, sure, turn of foot, maybe, you know, I, I, I suppose maybe every horse has some kind of turn of foot. When I think of turn of foot, I think of turf horses quickening and genuinely quickening. On dirt, they are all slowing down. So it's not really a turn of foot, in my opinion. It's just slowing down slower than everyone else. Which gives you that optical illusion that they are accelerating or any of that kind of stuff. As opposed to grass, when it's not an op optical illusion, they actually are accelerating. Merlotza may be one of those rare instances where there is genuinely a turn of foot on dirt. Now, perhaps that's a byproduct of some of the way the races that she has been involved in have unfolded. They've been kind of on the more pedestrian side early, and they sprint home. But I do think of—I I think there are the occasional dirt runners. And the one that anybody that's listened to me for any part of the past year and a half, two years, there's one horse that comes to mind, and it's part of the reason that I continue to campaign. It'll never happen. Ever, ever, ever. Ever. It, just, it won't given everybody that's involved. It won't. But Secret Oath, I believe, has a turn of foot on dirt. It's a very quick bang. She accelerates, and then it's over. She doesn't sustain that. Now, Merlaza, I don't know if 
she's still so lightly raced. I, I truly don't know what the, the ceiling is. Maybe we're getting close. But I like the buyer speed figure progression. The first two starts sprinting, which I don't really think she wants to do, but she's probably just a good filly, so she's been able to kind of have success doing that. 76 and 75 buyers, nearly paired up. She moves forward in her third start to an 81. I love that she comes right back and earns an 82, so I think we're sitting on another forward move. But I would just encourage you to go back and watch the tape of that stakes race at Oaklawn. She probably didn't beat anything. But I just, she finished like an absolute freight train, and I don't love any of the other girls in here. Who's your filly? I mean, if if you want to give her another chance, I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to sit here and, and laugh. I know a lot of people are just kind of over her, and I'm probably there too, but she's at least run races that are fast enough to win. You can't say that about, I think, the majority of this field. Then again, it depends what kind of speed figures you use. Because, you know, here I am saying I like Merlaza. You know, on something like Thoroughgraph, she's really not that much faster than anyone else in here. For that matter, she's probably the third fastest horse in the race, period. Maybe even fourth behind Taxed. On Byers, she is one of the fastest. On time form, she probably has a little bit to find. But I, I guess the bigger point is this is not a group of superstars. I'm sure some folks will look at FaZa and say, She's five for five. She's trained by Baffert. She's won by open lengths in each of her last two. You know, what is there to really knock about her? There's nothing to knock other than a combination of price, which I think she's going to be a a terrible, terrible underlay. And I just, I don't think she's that good. Maybe I'm wrong. But what I've seen, put it this way, I'm going to withhold judgment until you beat better horses than and tell me no lies and pride of the Nile. I, I, no disrespect to anybody involved with those horses, but they're not, they are, I mean, they would be prices in this race. So there's a reason that she's been odds on in all five of her starts. I think she is arguably the most likely winner. I have her and and Merlaza both pegged at 24% to win the race. I know some people that have been, you're seeing more and more, excuse me, a little bit stuffy, coming off of COVID. That was a fun piece to to bring home from Kentucky. Um, The day I got home, and the whole family got it. So luckily we're out of the woods now, but, you know, Still that little residual stuffy nose. That's an aside. The idea that... I don't even know where I was going with my train of thought. Point is, I, I don't think this is a very good group of horses. If you think Hoosier Philly can suddenly kind of get back to one of her best races, I, I don't think she's crazy at what should be a reasonable price. It'll be the best price she's ever been. The longest she's ever been in her career is six to five. And she ran against decent enough Phillies down there in New Orleans, apparently, in hindsight. I was a little bit skeptical despite picking South Lawn, but, you know, that that Fairgrounds Oaks looked pretty good in hindsight. Merlaza, oh, uh, the, the value line piece. If you are, more and more people are putting them out there I'm certainly not saying I was the first one to do that. Barry Meadow wrote about it in a book years and years ago. 
That's when I started doing it. But, you know, you're starting to see it in different publications and you're seeing people tweet things out, this, that, and the other. You can get very into the weeds as far as the amount of points you allot to some of these horses. You know, if you really want, you can have horses 400, 500 to 1 if you wanted to get it down into the, you know, hundredths of a percentage point. Um, I personally think that's kind of over the top. I just stick to, you know, whole numbers. Is that what they are? No decimals. I don't need decimals. 12%, 10%. I mean, I don't I don't need to get into the minutia of, of you know, to the, to the XXX degree. So I only go with 6%, 2%, 24%, 6%, which is why Merlaza and Faza, I have them by number equally likely winners. I think Faza is probably a slightly more likely winner. Am I going to assign her an extra half point? No, I... I I think that's just making it more difficult than it needs to be. So Merlaza is going to be a lone A for me, and a lone backup is going to be Faza. And truth be told, I may not even use Faza. I have to look and see what I'm actually playing for the sequences. There are a couple of two-day wagers that Pimlico's putting on this year, or this weekend, I should say. But for, let's say, the pick three leading in, because I do think the Pimlico Special is a little bit of an interesting race. I know I said I wasn't really going to talk much about the, the Friday undercard, but without rain, I just don't really want any part of Law Professor, so all of a sudden I think there's value there. And then the run prior to that, you've got the Hilltop, which I think is a pretty good race. You know, maybe Breath Away is simply better than everyone else. I've still got some work to do on that race, but effectively if i'm playing a big pick three which has become my wager of choice is to pound the shit out of a pick three and single or just use a lone horse in the payoff leg and if i'm right there i'm gonna get rewarded i'm i'm very likely to be playing some kind of you know merlaza's the single in the 13th maybe you use two horses in the 12th and maybe you use one or two, max three, I would think, in the 11th. So even if you wanted to caveman that out, there are six combinations there. Maybe I played that for $20. So it's a $120 investment. And if I'm lucky, I'm alive to Merlaza and I pick three for 20 bucks. That's how I've gone about playing things as opposed to saying, I'm taking $120 and I want to throw it at this pick five sequence or this pick four sequence and I have it for 50 cents or have it for a dollar, and everybody and their brother has it, and, you know, my 120 turns into 300 or 350 There are far easier ways to get two and a half to one on your money than to do something like that, in my opinion. I'm more interested in absolutely, I, I want blood. If I'm going to be right, I, I want I got to make it worth my time. So Merlaza is going to be my lone A in Friday's Black Eyed Susan. Race 13 on Saturday. It's the grade one Preakness. $1.5 million is the purse. You have a field of eight for an American classic. I, I, I mean, look, n nobody really 
cares about my opinion with this sort of thing, nor should they. But I, I maybe this is even speaking a little out of, you know, out of line. I think I said this exact thing last year, though. Purely from a business standpoint, if if I'm the folks involved with the Preakness, I have to look at this and go, we can't we can't keep doing this. For, if if the rest of the Triple Crown doesn't want to fall in line, fine. We we need to move. We we can't be giving away a million and a half dollars to you know. This is a this is a rough looking group. If we're just being honest, it's great that you get the Derby winner in there. I know you've got a grade one winner in there on top of that. Now you've got a couple of graded stakes winners in here. It's a million and a half dollars for a race that is. If you took it, if you took the name, if you blacked that out, right? If, if you just took a marker through Preakness G1 purse, all that, right? And you, t- you blacked out the names. And you just kind of looked at the figures that these horses have earned and their overall records. Is there any part of this race that makes it look like a grade one? And it, 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 this is nothing that anyone has done wrong. It's just, it's just the reality of the situation right now. And if I were involved, again, I am not. The folks that are involved don't care what I have to say, nor should they. But holy smokes, man, how do you how do you justify this? If you don't have mage, I mean this this is a disaster. So I think the rest of the card is really fun from a gambling standpoint. Gambling wise, maybe some of you are smarter than I am. I think this race is very difficult to make anything interesting out of let me burn through my fair odds and i'll give you a pick in here uh national treasure who looks like the speed in here eight to one chase the chaos 99 to one mage the derby winner two to one coffee with chris 50 to one red route one 13 to one perform 13 to one blazing sevens 12 to one first mission two to one that's it that's the entirety. Now, if I am the mage camp, I'm thrilled. Maybe it is a quick turnaround. Maybe in a perfect world, you don't want to run back on two weeks' notice. Put it this way. This horse, on just about any metric, is strictly the horse to beat. You are not catching superstars in here. So, if he wins the Preakness, he all but locks up three-year-old champion. He may already have it with the Derby win. Because the race carries far too much weight, but it is what it is. But if he wins this race, he almost certainly locks up three-year-old champion. So, you got to beat seven horses. You're running for a million and a half dollars. It's still an American classic. It's still a grade one. I know he's already made as a stallion. But he, he joins a pretty elite group of horses if he wins this second race. So I, I don't have anything real negative about Mage. The only thing I would say is 
I thought he had everything go his way in Louisville two weeks ago. And I just don't think this pace is going to be nearly as fast. Doesn't mean he can't win, but I don't think he's going to have everything kind of work out ideally for him. I'm going to go to the outside with first mission. I think if you can get two to one, you take it. Admittedly, when I first watched the Lexington, I was at Keeneland for the last three weeks of the meeting, and I watched the race, and I was like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. And part of me still kind of looks at him and is like, eh, all right, fine. If there was anyone else in this field, I'd probably try to beat him too. But I, I, I will say there are certain trainers that when they consistently say something about a certain horse or they speak about them in a certain way, I kind of listen a little more so than with others. And Brad Cox has, on a few occasions, said that he believes this horse is one of the best three-year-olds in the country. He just hasn't had the chance to really show it yet. And again, you know, what what good does it do, Brad, to pump up a Godolphin homebred and say, we think he's awesome if he actually sucks? I mean, he he has nothing to gain by doing that. Unless he actually thinks that's the case. And I I think he's still a little bit green. I thought his Lexington was fine. You know, the whole disarm thing, him coming back and running as well as he did in the Derby. You know, I, th- I think that's probably a, a feather in his cap. I don't know that it's the end-all be-all, but I he's just the only other horse in the race that I can sit here and look at and be like, yeah, I like it. I can see it. So I'm going eight first mission over three mage. Uh, National treasure, I will have nowhere. I just, I've never been a fan. I just don't think he's that good. The blinkers go on. He looks like he's controlling speed. And maybe this will be a very silly, silly result for me where I look back on it immediately after the race and go Baffert, Lone Speed, Pimlico. How hard was this? I just don't think he's that good. I will I'll stand by that right through Saturday. If he wins, I lose. I will not have him I will not have a piece of him anywhere. A piece. Not even the, the deepest of backups. I don't know if, if Saturday during the show I'm going to go as far as to Well, bare minimum it'll probably be a, a cold exacta. Eight first mission, three mage. I'm debating on a cold trifecta. And there's really only one horse that I'm interested in using in third. I'm sure a lot of people will look at uh, Blazing Sevens. No, no, it's not him. I just don't think he's very good either. Oh, it's got to, off the heels of that trip, it's got to be Perform. No, no, it, it, Perform's trip was a, a, a hot mess, but I think you can do that against bad horses I, don't, I just i don't think he's quite up to to par at least for this level it's red route one and i don't think he's a superstar i think he does what he does he comes with his big run at the very end i think in a pace compromised race he can pick up some pieces and run third so i'm i'm very much if from a gambling standpoint if it's not you know if, if i can get five to two on first mission 
this is probably one of those where you don't overthink it and you just bet him to win. If he's in the two to one range, and let's say Mage is, you know, eight to five, like he is on the line. Maybe it's just an eight three cold punch. Or at that point, do you just take it another step and you say eight over three over five for fifty dollars? So instead of making a fifty dollar win bet or a fifty dollar cold exact to eight three, I'm gonna add in Red Route One, hope that he can beat both Blazing Sevens and perform and National Treasure. That's not both, that's three. All three of them. And I don't know. I'm terrible at this part of it because I don't usually play these these kind of wagers that deep anyway. Can you get for a dollar on a trifecta of that? Can you get... Do you get $10? Do you get more than that? I don't I don't know. Do you get 15 for a buck? Of 8 over 3 over 5? Do you play that for 50 or or $100? Maybe get 1000 or 1500 back. First mission for me in the grade one Preakness. I'm hopeful the weather cooperates because the undercard on Saturday, I think there are some interesting horses. Let's talk about those. All right. And here are some ideas for the undercard on Saturday. Let's hope the weather cooperates. Again, <clears throat> this is where I feel like I can get a little creative and I don't need all of these to hit. I need one. And if one hits, it's a great day. If multiple hit, I'm buying a piece of the track. Okay. Let's take it in reverse chronological order. So we just talked about the Preakness. The 12th race is the James W. Murphy Stakes. It's the three-year-old turf race going a mile, right? I think, you know, I, I won't be surprised at all if Niagara Rock is just way too much horse. I ran into uh, Billy Koch at one of the machines in Louisville, he goes, you know, we're looking at that Transylvania. We're looking and seeing how some of these horses have come back to run. Webslinger won the American turf. You know, maybe we should have been here. But, you know, Graham knows what he's talking about. We're going to run for 100000 in two weeks. And guess what? They're probably going to be pushing odds on. So probably the right call. Um, I think Nagarok is the most likely winner by far. I do think Kingfish Stevens is a little interesting. I don't know that I truly think he's good enough to win. But he could be an underneath type. Fantastic again. I, I don't love this horse, but Thoroughgraph, he's fast. I don't know if he's truly a turf horse. I don't know what he is. His big races have come on synthetic. You know, fine. And he figures to be forwardly placed. Western Yarn has shown some improvement. You know, top recruit. One of his big races as a two-year-old is at least competitive in here. The horse I am most interested in, it's not Wonderful Justice. It's Moonstrike. Moonstrike's going to be a million to one. And he, uh, purely on numbers, is a million to one in this race. He doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. He debuted for 30, going six and a half. He was dangled in for a tag by Qatar Racing and Wesley Ward. He wins by two. He's claimed out of that by Jeff Engler. They run him back in a stakes race going six. Doesn't hit the board. Then they stretch him out to two turns on turf at Keeneland. And I don't know what the horse's ceiling could have been 
But if you haven't watched the tape of the April 28th race, it was the last race of the meeting, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, because a horse that I had a giant play into had no chance of running either because of similar circumstances. Moonstrike was never, ever, ever allowed to actually run. I don't know if he were allowed to run, what he would have done. It would have been a hell of a lot better than what he did. The 66 buyer, the 14 thoroughgraph number. Is it enough to win? I, I, I don't know. But I do know he's going to be a massive price. At the very least, think about him underneath. But I will try to have something alive into him, at the very least, in the 12th race on Saturday. And also the caveat of, we need this thing to stay on the grass. Which, unless it's a crazy, crazy rainstorm, I think they will, for how little they run at Pimlico. Race 11. It's the grade 3 Maryland Sprint. You've got some salty old boys in here. Wonder where Craig is on the far outside. Straight no chaser. My concern with straight no chaser, it's not that the talent's not there. It's when he has run without Lasix, he has stopped pretty badly in both of those. They also happen to be his only two runs against graded six company. And I also think he's going to have to run every step of the way with wonder where Craig is. I think Nakatomi makes a lot of sense in here. I've never been a fan of the horse, but I think he does make sense. Um, Willie Boy, I had a good run with him last year, and then he's, he's just off form. Prevalence, I, I don't know what you want to do with him. He's not for me in this spot. I really like Al Loves Josie. He's another one that needs to prove that he is of this caliber. He needs to prove that he can run fast without Lasix. But the stakes race last time out, oh, and I say the stakes last time out, Basically, anytime he's taken on stakes company, he's come up wanting. So we, we need to acknowledge all of those, that he is not, he's got a lot to overcome. But if you ignore the last race, because he didn't get away all that clean, and at the top of the lane, there was a, a slight hole that opened up. He couldn't quite punch on, and then he had to basically be kind of taken up or, or half ridden for the duration of the stretch. It, it just, it, it, the race is not nearly as bad as that beaten seven and change margin would suggest the run two back the run three back if he gets to either of those especially based on some of the thoroughgraph numbers Al loves Josie can win this race and it's really not even that much of a stretch you do need to reconcile or come to the you know the the conclusion that you know he could also just be way overmatched because of the company that he's taking on or because he's not going to have meds. But his runs visually, the run three starts back kind of, you shouldn't even really take a look at that. It was such an easy lead that he made. He was supposed to blow the doors off that field. The run two back, he was really good that day. Really good. And I'm not just saying that because I like the horse. He was really strong in that spot. And I just think if you get anything close to 10 to 1, I haven't priced the race out. I'd like to think I would take... I think I'd take six, 14% chance. Six or seven, 14, 13%, something like that. I, I think Al Loves Josie is is interesting at a number. So again, if I'm talking about trying to get alive to that boxcar in race number 12, the six-horse Moonstrike, again, th this is how I've, how I've kind of started to go about constructing possible bets that I want to make, right? Bare minimum, if I'm not alive in anything deeper, 
whether it be a pick three, pick four, pick five, whatever. I know at the at the bare minimum, I'm going to have a giant double. Race 11, four. Al loves Josie into the six in race 12. I will have that double. No two ways around it. And if Al loves Josie doesn't win, I know I can always come back and I can bet that other horse to win. Moonstrike. But for me, I've, I've, I don't want to be right about some big numbers and not get rewarded. That has become kind of my conclusion. And maybe this sounds obvious, and I'm sure some of the diehards, the, the EV nut jobs, probably going, of course, that's what you should have been doing all along. I know. I know. But everyone has different times, or they, they have different ways that they want to play the game. I'm not going to shame anyone for for if you if you only bet the show if you had two dollars to show on every horse, I, we I want more of those people. There need to be more people that that get involved, and it, regardless of what level you're at, there are going to be people that come in and play for thousands and thousands of dollars at a time. But I'm not going to belittle you if a you you don't have a giant tolerance for risk, and b the other thing is you got to keep in mind not everybody has bankrolls that you know enable them to go out and, and do crazy things on the weekend most of us throughout the years and i'm sure most of the folks listening to this for saturday's card you've got a hundred bucks maybe it's a little bit more maybe it's a little bit less i know there are a handful of you that have much more than that there are some of you that don't bet at all and that's okay i know this is a gambling game at its heart but I'm also not someone, I'm not one of these people that wants to sit here and make fun of anyone for what they do or don't do with their own money. That's dumb. The way the game has gone over the past handful of years, but especially with the way the shit's hitting the fan recently, the last thing anybody needs is to hear from some public handicap or that you should be doing this with your money. All I'm doing is telling you what I'm trying to do. And rather than be right and get a little bit of a reward on those random times that I am right with a big number, I want to maximize the return on those random times that I'm right. Which is why I'm saying if I can be right with one of these horses on Saturday, I'm in great shape. If I'm right with a couple of them, all hell's breaking loose, and God forbid I'm right about more than a couple of them because then I might just have to walk off set. They might not see me the rest of the show because I'll probably just be, you know, trying to buy a horse or do something irresponsible. Uh, race 10, the Jim McKay turf sprint. I uh, Well documented, my disdain for turf sprints. There is one horse in here, though, that I think I have to bet just on principle alone, that'd be the four Uncle Ernie, who's 20 to 1 on the morning line for John's service. Anytime this horse has had Lasix, he's run well. He's only sprinted on turf one time. It was his first start off a lengthy layoff. He had no Lasix. He was in the turf monster last year at Parks. I, I could not tell you if this horse can stand up on grass. But if he's even half that 20 to 1, say 10, the numbers that he has earned in his races with Lasix against this group, I've got to give him a chance. 
Uncle Ernie. So I've just laid out a pick three that I will have. And the beauty of getting really thin with these multis, rather than just spreading just to spread and just to, to say, you know, I, I hit it, I hit it. If I go one by one by one on one of these tickets, right? And I play it for $20. It's 20 bucks. That's all it costs, $20. Or I play it for 10 or even if I play it for five, one by one by one. Is it likely that all three of them are going to win? No. But it's the beauty of horse racing and handicapping. I've gone through. I have identified why I think each of these horses have a reasonable chance. And if for whatever reason I happen to be right today, that $5 pick three, that $10 pick three, that $20 pick three, that's that's making, in some cases, it can make the year. So there's another idea for you to use on the undercard on Saturday. The rest of the races, I've done just a cursory glance. I, I will say I remember watching Hurricane Dream, the four horse in the eighth. That would be the grade three dinner party. I don't know if I'm picking him. I thought his run at Keeneland was unreal. Uh, I have not looked at the form of the race or anything like that. I don't know what he defeated that day, but he looked spectacular doing so beyond that you know again I, I do have a, a bit more work to do on some of those other races but there are just a few ideas for you if you're playing at home you're playing at an otb you're at pimlico on saturday you're somewhere else some horses to think about maybe you're not playing them on top but maybe they can run underneath a favorite and all of a sudden they can you know get you a decent exacta and hopefully you can go you know buy a couple drinks and have some fun in the afternoon with your friends and family. That's going to do it for this episode of the pod. However, you've been listening. Thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube. Search bar map earlier your show. You will get this episode along with the 158 prior. If you happen to be at Pimlico on Saturday, uh, swing by the set. Uh, I assume we're going to be in the same spot. Or I say the set. I'm not on the set. I'm at the touch screen. Uh, I assume it'll be similar spots to where we were last year. It would be kind of in between some concessions. I'll be over there with uh, Steve Kornacki for the majority of the day. Have a couple other things going on there. Uh, and also on Friday, we'll be over there for the last few races. Friday's broadcast schedule, Peacock, 4.30 to 6 Eastern. Saturday, we begin time 1, 1 o'clock, something like that on CNBC. And then we transition over to uh, Big NBC, 3.30, 4 o'clock, something like that. Right up until the, I say until, right through the conclusion of the second leg of the American Triple Crown, the Preakness. We will find out if Mage can run for a, for a Triple Crown, which... You know, I know it hasn't been that long, but that is kind of neat that he's got a pretty damn good chance. He's got a good chance. Good horse. Doesn't have to beat much. Wouldn't that be something? Mage is alive to win a triple crown. Quick housekeeping note. No show next week. I'm going to take the week off. Coming home. Chilling out. Uh, and then we'll probably pick it up in earnest from there. Obviously, there'll be a week before the Belmont. 
We'll do a Belmont Week show, uh, and that will be my first week at Monmouth Park. Me and Larry Colmas for FanDuel TV. I'll be there for, I'll be on site for a handful of weeks. And then I've got an NBC show, Stephen Foster, at the beginning of July. And yeah, a few other things going on. Month of August, I should be working FanDuel TV, but from home here in New England, from our home office, my home office. Um, Yeah. And there's a bunch of other stuff on on deck, but uh, the pod will get back to sort of a, a more regularly scheduled programming scenario over the next handful of months after the Triple Crown has concluded. Again, thank you all for listening. It means a great deal to me, everybody at In The Money Media. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know the drill by now. Um, this weekend, good luck. Have fun. Don't do anything crazy. Uh, I'll be back in two weeks, not next week. I'll be back the following week. We'll look back on the first two legs of the Triple Crown. We'll look ahead to the Belmont Stakes, some of the horses that could be running there. And kind of a little bit of a precursor, a little bit of a lead into the summer ahead all across the racing landscape. Without further ado, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 159 of the Map Owner Show. Talk to you again in a couple weeks.